0: week's episode, we talk about code security for .NET and web developers, and how to stop people from stealing our precious, precious code that we spent so much time working on. Should we all be obfuscating our code and doing string manipulation, or should we just ship it? All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. Frank, I love C Sharp and I love .NET, but one thing that's really come to the forefront over the years of development that I've done is trying to somehow secure my code because as a .NET developer, you create a DLL and you can just, you know, distribute that and that's how your code's going to run and all this stuff. But anyone can just take that DLL, literally drag it into something like .peak and
1: view all your code. Have you uh, run into this or done this yourself? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite feature of .NET code. I used to joke in the olden days that uh, all .NET code was open source because you would just take someone's program, open it up into a decompiler. And gosh, the decompilers are so good for .NET. And you get pretty much perfectly readable code. Um, So yeah, I've done this since the beginning.
0: (laughs) It's super fun to see. I mean, I do it to my own applications mostly. I mean, sometimes you're maybe looking to see how Xamarin did something or something like that. So you'll drag a DLL in there. Like, oh, what is this built in? And, you know, it's it's quite interesting to see just the code that's written. And I remember the very first application I wrote in Xamarin, six years ago now, at this point, 2011, I was really concerned about kind of keys that I would put into my application. I know we're not supposed to put keys into an application, blah, blah, blah. But you got to put them in there sometimes. And, you know, I would, you know, encrypt the key and put it in there and you can always reverse it. (laughs) But I remember my manager saying, you got to obfuscate the code. You got to obfuscate the code. I'm like, well, it's an Android application. Do I have to obfuscate it? And uh, well, even in any Java world, because I think Java runs into the same exact thing, Is that you do, I mean, as Xamarin application, even if, you know, you you can bundle stuff into the assembly, but, you know, you are creating DLLs at the end of the day and people can bust open that APK. They can drag and drop it in there. If you're creating a Windows application, it, it, it can be done.
1: Yeah. Okay. So breaking it down, I guess the feature that I love about .NET is, is that everything's open and pretty much publicly viewable is kind of a problem when it comes to accessing like servers and things privately. Like what scenarios do you actually need a key for? That's pretty much it. Or if you're encrypting user data, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You're doing some
0: handshaking so, and you don't want to use a, you know, yeah public private key combo i guess
1: <laughs> actually it, it reminds me of a funny time i was uh back in the day we had an app called reflector remember reflector mm-hmm. and i thought well wouldn't it be fun to run reflector on reflector i think everyone <laughs> has to try this at some point right I'm like oh i want to know how it works well it turns out that reflector does all sorts of crazy things to hide its own code because i i guess uh at the was the app pay for do you remember i think it was paid for i think it was like yeah yeah, that's why yeah so he he didn't want people decompiling the app so within it he had to have an encryption key and it turned out if you decompiled it you would find that uh not only did the he obfuscate the code but that the code all it did was decrypt a packet and that packet ended up being another executable that would then be uh loaded and launched and so it was really fun to see uh all the the hoops and whatever obstacles that he created to prevent you from getting to the stuff.
0: Yeah, I like to call that obfuscation by mess, essentially. (laughs) Uh, And, 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 you know, when you use, I guess we could describe, There's when we say obfuscation too, maybe not everyone knows what that means, Mm -hmm. but Um, There was tons of Windows applications. There was one for Android that I've used, like ProGuard kind of does that where they or yeah, ProGuard will scramble code. There's a few different things of obfuscation. If you think of obfuscation is the idea is you have a bunch of human readable code to some extent. You want to just jamble it all up and make it not readable and kind of undecryptable in some fashion. And essentially, that's really good. There's different levels. The easiest one would be like string obfuscation where it literally takes your code and then it, you know, scrambles up the.
1: The, the string, yeah, yeah. It changes all your very nice variable names that describe exactly how your app is working, and turns them into A, B, C, D. So even if you decompile the code, uh, all you see is kind of a mess of symbols. And it turns out variable names are very important to understanding code.
0: Yes, yeah, variable names, uh, method names, and they can do different injections. They can they can do it so it injects random things, like you know, oh, creates yeah. different you know.
1: I've seen that There's, it's so weird. Yeah. They just generate like code that doesn't do anything, but just and and I've seen them actually like target decompilers where they know there are bugs in the decompilers so they'll insert the code that'll trip up the decompiler. Ah. Oh fun times oh yeah
0: yeah and it yeah it's it, and it's there's so there's multiple things that i kind of want to discuss today which is not just the how and the why and you know a few different things different programming languages but also that there's different types of obfuscation that you may be concerned about And some platforms you really don't have to be concerned about it too much and i think you know for me the question is do i want to obfuscate my code Because, oh, I put some strings in there. So first off, if that's the only reason you need to obfuscate it, well, maybe rethink putting strings in there. But do you think someone's going to steal your software? But then also there's a security level to things of maybe I'm calling a licensing server, right? Or maybe I'm doing in-app purchases. So to me, there's kind of like, to at least three or four different reasons that I may want to obfuscate my code. And for a long time, it was only those strings that I was like, just please hide my strings and, and things like that. Um, and, and I found a few different tools to do it, but uh, how have you kind of tackled this over the years of being a .NET That's- developer?
1: That's funny, because um, I've always been paranoid of it. I I guess, I don't know what it is, psychological defect, but I've never wanted uh, people to be able to decompile my source code. So almost always, if I released an app, uh, just as like a plain EXE, I'd run it through at least a simple obfuscator so that uh, people couldn't access the source code. Um, I don't think that was strictly necessary, honestly. But... um, I don't know. I just, I just feel bad giving away my hard fought algorithms and things like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why I don't open source everything that I do, I guess, right. <laughs> exactly. um, in general. And man, I was, I think that that was our thing too, is I didn't realize that how like human readable things were until it actually, you know, did it. And you could just see everything. Uh, it, was, it was quite complex. <laughs> and, and then you know, there's that obfuscation via a mess, which is like you're redirecting methods. So there's 18 methods that have to be called. And I used something called like Babel obfuscator a long time ago for Android, I think. And for Windows, I think it did Android, Xamarin Android and Windows Phone is I think where it started. And I never concerned about iOS, but here's the problem with obfuscation is that it can also bloat your code. I mean, yeah. that's literally what it's doing.
1: Well, especially when you're put, injecting all that. That's exactly what I'm thinking this entire time you're talking about it. And that's probably why I never did it myself, because deep down, I'm just a performance freak. I want everything to be as fast as possible. So I, I could never tolerate that. I really think that um, if you just change the symbols, the identifiers in the code, I think you're protecting the code well enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, we. I live by this thing, which was, you only want to take things to a certain extent and then at some point if someone wants to decompile your application uh-huh. and they need to get to something like yeah. they're going to do it like there's right. no foolproof pan- plan like if you look at the sha right you create sha1 you create sha5 sha256
1: everything gets broken it's just how difficult is it to break break it so what you want to do is prevent what did we used to call it like casual thievery you know Mm -hmm. uh you want to keep honest people honest that kind of like stuff but you're never gonna prevent an attacker someone who actually wants to get at it yeah and you just mentioned shao one we'll we'll make our episode timely again so uh someone just found what a nice little uh collision they didn't find it they knew how to find it they figured out a way to find collisions is that Mm -hmm. it yeah. well
0: google google did they google. of
1: course it was google
0: yeah so they i think they've done it for a long long time there's this big discussion around it for a long time but they officially said we have a reproducible over and over <laughs> again way of breaking sha one and in 90 days yeah. we're going to release yeah. it to the world <laughs> you know? uh,
1: keeping us keeping us time we have they released it yet because as yeah. of my knowledge we just have two pdf files which have already wreaked some havoc on the internet. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. but thankfully they haven't released the technique yet
0: as far as I know not. but I mean, you know, even Google recommended going away. Like, so when I think of obfuscation code and practices and what keys and things I'm signing, it's probably good just to kind of brush up on a new project or every few years, like what is this, the base standard, (laughs) you know, that's out there.
1: Uh, that's one. I think the lesson I was getting out of that was simply that everything breaks. Uh, you're never going to prevent someone who's directing an attack. Yeah. But that said, um, if we move our discussion uh, more to the keys, as you were saying, of how do you keep things private in your app, boy, that's a hard topic, isn't it? Like, you just have to read research papers, you have to read how to use the encryption libraries correctly. That's a toughie.
0: Yeah, I I, someone gave me a book on encryption. They're like, just read the first three chapters to understand private and public keys and then (laughs) go from there. And and I and I did it. And that that really helped a lot when I was doing WCF applications, like you know, doing soapiness back and forth. And Mm -hmm. I think what was what's really interesting in the world of mobile is that you can still follow those same practices. You can put certs into your app. You can have certs on the servers. You can make sure that the requests are coming in correctly. So when people ask me, like, oh, how do I secure my app and how do I do this? Like, it's just kind of following the same practices. You just have to go down, you know, you're the, 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 using TLS 1.2 and, you know, the, the SSL, like all these different things that are all built in to the different versions of iOS and Android. So if you follow those those same best practices, I think it's okay. And iOS and Android and Windows to some ex- extent, but I know iOS and Android, they have these you know keychains, which are extremely yeah. secure. And if you're going to store secure um, strings in any fashion, like don't store those in your public NS user <laughs> defaults, store those in a yeah. keychain, you know, that's where right. you want to store them. So. Yeah,
1: I think user data that that's definitely a solved problem. Uh, look up on your platform the correct way to store private stuff on that platform. I think they all have it. Actually, I don't know the way to do it on uh, UWP, but there are There's definitely explicit. It, it's similar. Store. Yeah. Okay. Um, definitely do that. I think the harder one is what we we're talking about in the beginning is when you have what like a token or something token. to access a yeah. server. What, what, what always happens? Give me the common case. What's Common cases though, Okay, so
0: Meetup Manager. Um, okay. A meetup Manager. This is a case in point. So you have Meetup Manager, and I need to go create a new app on meetup.com. Mm-hmm. And they give me my um, private um, keys, so I can do oh, OAuth. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I need them put them in the application (laughs) to make that request (laughs) out to the server (laughs) so i just hard code them into the thing right and i mean so my thing is if someone steals that key what are they getting yeah and they're not getting any of my data it's just that app which is just a key to get in but imagine that that wasn't a key to the oauth that was a key to unlock a thousand coins or to my AWS server. Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah. So I could, let's address the simpler one first. Uh, one nice thing about that scenario is that most of these apps have, uh, um, Uh, you can cancel the token. What do you call that? Like rollback, you know, uh, canceling a certificate, whatever you want to call it. And and under that case, then you just have to redeploy your app if someone actually steals your certificate. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to play a security jockey here in that I don't know anything about security, but (laughs) would it help if like you put those files on a server and then only fetch them the time that you needed them and then never kept them around, never stored them anywhere, just on in memory. I guess that's just kind of obfuscation. Like someone who wanted to steal it then, it's just harder for them to steal it. But is that good? Do people do that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, ideally what I would do at this point is make some kind of, mm, I can make some, my own web requesting where I make web requests from the mobile application, make sure it's coming from my app into my backend and then that backend yeah. proxies right. everything. Right. And that way, all so like all of my, that's the nice thing about the web is like all the tokens are stored on the server. So that's how you get them. I guess mm-hmm. I could make it so I had a secure handshake between my mobile app and my server, and then it passed the tokens back that were yeah. encrypted, and then I could de-encrypt
1: them in the, the phone. Right, because you can just have TLS for that. You can just do normal web security for that. And that would work. Yep. Yeah, the bad part there is now you're the bottleneck. Your, mm. your server is the bottleneck to everything. Yeah, but- exactly yeah oh security it comes at a cost doesn't it
0: (laughs) it does whether you're gonna bloat the code or you're gonna implement all this overhead so i just ship it i don't even care and (laughs) that's the thing so it depends on my application you can always revoke it (laughs) you can always revoke it and and an app like that is not a big thing now if i'm creating the next pokemon go i'm creating the next you know snapchat that's probably should think about security a little bit more and obfuscate your code in some way i mean Now, ProGuard is for Java obfuscation, and there's tons of .NET ones that work with Xamarin. Now, you do mostly iOS applications, and I've always been under the assumption that I never have to worry about that because it's just (laughs) bytecode or bitcode or bytecode, right?
1: It's not 100% true. I've actually played around with uh, decompiling ARM code, so the actual binaries that are on the phone. And there are a couple good disassemblers uh, out for um, all the operating systems. Uh, The one I prefer is... Oh, God, I hope I don't blank here. Is it the Ida <laughs> disassembler? Um, it's just a very powerful one that can you throw it in executable. Now, this is native machine code. So it's not pretty. You don't have the symbols that we were talking about before. So it's kind of obfuscated. But you can kind of trace through how a program works that way. And so that's you always have that option it's not pretty though i'd never recommend it you're not going to learn much from it you're only doing this if you're like tracking down a nasty bug or trying to figure out what other people are doing is that that. is that how
0: apple so you you let's say you upload something to hockey app or something like that you upload your debug symbols like that huge archive Mm -hmm. is that how they're essentially revert like kind of some sort of
1: Yeah, um, so the executable itself has different levels of what's called debug information, which basically tells you how close it is to the source code. Mm -hmm. Uh, so a tiny bit of debug information might be it has all the function names of everything in your source code. And even with just that, you can kind of figure out how a program works if you just have function names. Mm -hmm. Then the next level up is where it tells you all your class names, all your variable names, parameter names, all that kind of stuff. And that's in your debug information. So mm-hmm. once you have the debug information, you can learn pretty much everything you want to know <laughs> about an app. That's why no apps ship with their debug information. It's just yeah. it's so it's too close to the source code. Basically. Too close to the
0: source. And that, you you brought up a sort a certain interesting part there too, which is. Not only just kind of going through and if you output things to Logcat, like be be cognizant of what you're outputting to logs.
1: Because <laughs> if, huh?
0: if you output things to Logcat, like you can just read these logs and Logcat and people yeah. output stuff all the time. And it's helpful for debug, but if you're still putting them out in certain instances of release, you know, you want to make sure what you're doing.
1: Have you uh, ever programmed against the Dropbox API? If I sit there and watch it in the device uh, log, and just while I'm doing programming and accessing the Dropbox API, it logs everything, mm-hmm. and I feel like I have an intimate knowledge of how the Dropbox API works just because of all these log statements. I've just I don't even want to read them. I just passively am reading them as I'm looking for real stuff.
0: Yeah, and then yeah, and then if you're reading those logs, and then if you're doing something like packet sniffing, and then you're making web requests, mm-hmm. you could correlate somehow in timestamp to say
1: <clears> this <throat> method
0: call this http request that's Didn't scary why would you, you
1: want to do that you're, you could c- I mean that's creepy. what hackers do
0: hackers <laughs> have you ever hackers. seen the movie hackers fantastic i love that movie <laughs> so good it, 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 i remember when i saw hackers for the first time you know uh, i realized that everyone was trashing our rights and uh and i was like you
1: know <laughs> stand i wanted to come the gibson
0: I wanted to go hack the Gibson afterwards. And I realized that that's when I wanted to be uh, a computer hacker. And then I realized that, oh, I could never be a computer hacker. (laughs) And it's not how it works. But um, (laughs) it's interesting. I, I was reading some articles recently on On Troy Hunt's website, because uh, he has this website, I, I Have I Been Pwned, which I go to all the time about all these these mm-hmm. hacks and a lot recently of MongoDB and all this other things. And it's interesting to think of how the web world has to think, because I know as .NET developers, we often have to think of, well, here's our code. Like, do I obfuscate the, the key? And I think you can kind of figure that out. I think that there's tools that we've talked about, the layers of obfuscation. But I think in the web, I don't, I, I think of it like, well, is everything over TLS and is everything over you know, HTTPS, and I guess it's okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, well, n- I don't write a lot of JavaScript. So I don't know if I'm actually correct.
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot of levels here, I guess. Um, fundamentally, the web's just a little bit more secure since everything's going through a private server at some point. So while people are uh, publicly accessing that server, it can keep its secret, secret. As long as, you know, the hackers. As long as the hackers don't get in. <laughs> Sneaky hackers out there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess then it comes down to um, the more modern era, though, of people writing giant web apps and JavaScript. And for that, JavaScript has been obfuscated pretty much forever. I remember <laughs> being so disappointed that I couldn't read the uh, JavaScript for Gmail. I was like, oh, look at Gmail. It's so awesome. I can't wait to read its code. <laughs> oh, Google turned everything into a lowercase O somehow. <laughs> yeah. So I think they've been dealing with the same obfuscation problem for a long time, uh, the JavaScript and web community.
0: Yeah. It's kind of something that everyone has to to worry about. I mean, I know we, we started with obfuscation, but I th- think it's kind of more the security level of things. Of how oh, how same it, thing. Yeah. yeah, how advanced do you really want to get in? So when I think of it is, so we talked about the bloat of code, but also slowness of code too, right? Because if you start obfuscating things, it's not like bloating your code, it's gonna slow down your code to some extent. I mean, I get, in general, it's it has to.
1: Yeah, right? I don't know. You know, one funny thing that I'm thinking of is uh, Google headed the JavaScript uh, compiler. I forget what it's called, Closure. 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 the Clojure compiler not to be confused with the programming language. So this thing was cool because it was an optimizing compiler for JavaScript. It would figure out some um, just whatever stupid tricks it could do to make sure that the JavaScript you were uh, giving the virtual machine was pretty fast and that it mixed together with the obfuscator. So what you would do is feed it really nice JavaScript code and it would optimize it Ridiculously, which in itself can be an obfuscation step if you've ever seen like super op, op, super optimized code, and then on top of that, it would obfuscate it at the same time, so in that case, you actually won out in performance, but in general yeah you're, you're taking a hit uh, for that level of security
0: I want to talk about um, a few things that aren't just normal app obfuscation we've kind of gone into this track of app code at this point like hey, hey what about the server what about this so i want to talk about my in-app purchase s- securing measures Ooh. a little bit because i think since we've talked so much about in-app purchases and you have know, my passion yeah. for in-app purchases i'd be curious about how you handle some stuff best practices um, but how you even handle this on the desktop i'm super interested but i would do want to take a, a quick break here and thank a good sponsor raygun you know raygun oh, frank yes.
1: i love raygun
0: frank gets all the emails telling him how Excellent. I got an email. My
1: app is performing excellently. Yes, I love Ray Gunn because I can spy on James, basically, and see how his app is performing and still make fun of him because his uh, startup times are still not where I want them to be.
0: And it's good because you can actually, uh, once I start upgrading the newer versions of Xamarin Forms with all the big optimizations, then we're (laughs) going to see how well my startup times goes over time. And it's actually interesting. So I, Frank and I created this little team and he has access to all my apps. So you can see everything that's going on, all the crashes in real time, which is really cool. And, and that's kind of why I fell in love with Raygun is that I'm adding just a few lines of code to my application. And this could be any app. It could be a web application, a JavaScript application, an Android iOS application, anything like that. Uh, if, if you name it, if you build it, something with it, they support it. They support everything. And you install a NuGet package, an NPM package, whatever, a few lines of code, native and managed crash reporting in any of your applications, it's awesome. Including Xamarin, they just have a new Mac OS uh, support too. So you have Mac OS, boom, again, you build it, they, they support it, or they will support it, they'll do it. And it's really everything that you need for, you know, crash reporting to really help you diagnose and detect software errors. And I cannot tell you how many times I have solved bugs, because if I'm in Android, especially in debug mode, I'm in this debug symbol, I get a lot more information, I'm getting line numbers, I'm getting um, GitHub, like integration stuff, actually stuff that we're talking about, which is so crazy, because when I'm in debug mode, I get the debug symbols, Raygun can pick those up and let me know what's going on in my code to help me diagnose even when I'm in development, I think people underestimate adding crash reporting while in development, because it will really help you because once that app crashes, I don't want to go through the, the... the log hat, and then I got to go figure out this thing and device logs. No, just let me just create an issue in GitHub. You know, with all these great integrations like Slack, GitHub, I get notified, I add it to GitHub, I can close it, I can resolve it. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, now, we want to thank Raygun for sponsoring the show and also giving everyone all that listens to Merge Conflict a free 30-day trial to all the great services in Raygun. You can try it yourself and you can be amazed at how awesome it is. Go to raygun.com slash Merge Conflict to find out more and to get that 30-day trial raygun.com slash merge conflict thank you so much raygun for being awesome
1: yeah thank you raygun yeah and thank goodness for those uh crash reports that actually have some symbols in them it does yeah. make so much better it doesn't have everything because you got to get the crash report
0: that that's actually super interesting to talk about because yeah if you over obfuscate anything you're, you're actually going to cause more work for yourself in the future at some yeah. point yeah <laughs>
1: you gotta leave some information in there it's okay <laughs> you
0: have to you have to and what's interesting, so when I talk about, like, I obviously get my code, and I kind of stopped doing it just because I'm like, eh, whatever. And I'm just like, eh, whatever. I don't, I don't care too much yeah. on Android. Now, all my apps are open source, right? So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You already have the code.
1: Yeah, and I, I've never actually done it. I, I've released on uh, Windows 8, Windows uh, RT, not UWP, so Windows 8, uh, Windows Phone, and Android. And I've never bothered because yeah. life's too short. Stop it is worrying. too short
0: just <laughs> whatever you know if, I, if, you, if you work I, in the enterprise maybe a different sto- story right
1: <laughs> but well I, I i had one incident with i circuit on ios and uh it, it was the first time i had Sold an app that was doing well, and I was so excited. And then someone sent me an email being like, Hey, look, you're being pirated. And at first, my very first thought was, Oh, how flattering. Uh, Someone's pirating my app. And then I got really angry really fast. I'm like, Wait a minute, they're pirating my app. And so, like, all these years that I was a terrible little kid downloading apps off the internet all came to bite me in the butt right that day. And I was like, Oh, so what did I do, James? I implemented my own awesome obfuscation security model that in no way could any hacker ever like get through because it had to enter a code and the code was spread throughout the files and they were like semi encrypted and it had to merge them at runtime and only then would the app run and I was so sure this was going to end the piracy release the app and literally one day later it was out and pirated and well, was this just,
0: on ios or was this on where was it where was this at this was ios <laughs> oh my goodness was this on like jailbroken yeah. rooted devices and stuff
1: i don't know but it was it was a pretty big number yeah yeah yeah. you definitely had to have a jailbroken device that's right um but what it, somehow they get through um the encryption that's built into apple's stuff somehow
0: and they just do it they just know it and, and that's it well, i mean
1: We've talked about this, actually. I had a bug that you you mentioned to me earlier. So all that crazy stuff that I was doing, um, merging all these things, validating the iTunes receipt and all that stuff, it all came down to this variable that said like, is should I run or not? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and there's an if statement, if I should run, <laughs> run. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, otherwise don't. So what a really good hacker can do is just leave in all that crazy stuff, which may or may not succeed. Find that one line of code that says, should I run or not? And then just change that line of code. Flip
0: that bit, flip that flip bit, that
1: bit. And and I think you have to take
0: a trade-off. So I, we talked about in-app purchases, and that's almost just like like in-app purchases in general. And I think what you can do is you can – there's ways to detect if you're on a rooted phone, and then you could just say, sorry, I don't support rooted phones. And you're going to – people then complain, and the app store give you one-star reviews, <laughs> even though they didn't pay for your application. You know what I mean? Uh, so that, that could be a problem. It's now a lot locker-
1: it's a lot larger audience than you would think, though, because I remember uh, I would often have like a, a bug that would only show up if you were if you had like the uh, whatever the jailbroken version of iOS. And I got a surprising number of email messages asking for support. And so oh, wow. back then, I think the number was like 30 percent. It was some scary number. But um, I feel like hopefully now because, is, it's calmed down.
0: Yeah, it's calmed down because you used to have to jailbreak your phone to unlock your phone to switch carriers. Now you don't.
1: Yeah, good point.
0: So I think that's why it's calmed down. And I think it's a risk versus reward. So if you put in all this extra code is, the first thing to do is like say, is it a problem? Put that code in there, see, you know, report that to your server. How many people have jailbroken devices? Are you detecting invalid stuff? Or people are, how many people are stealing? Like, do you even know it's a problem? That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. For in-app purchases, I have the, you know, 299 to unlock and remove ads. The question is, all right, how many times have people unlocked it and um you know yeah. how many actual purchases were made and and so that you, you have to do.
1: you have to store a number somewhere saying like unlocked or ads removed or something like that and so the difficulty there is how do i make it impossible for someone else to set that number
0: exactly yeah. yeah yeah and then you you set this all up and you get statistics and if something goes terribly wrong then guess what then you got to go implement you know, some, uh, what'd you call me you know, the validations measures earlier. And I think both Apple and Google and Microsoft have ways of dealing with this. And our, our one of the Xamarin MVPs, John Peppers, wrote a really great, uh, Jonathan Peppers wrote a great article on how to secure in-app purchases for iOS applications using Azure Functions. And he referenced my NuGet package. Uh, and I allow you to do server validation because it's important. I don't do server validation because I ain't got time for that. Um, but no, I really, I, I would.
1: I, I don't either, but one of the reasons I don't is because just as a rule of thumb, I hate running servers. Yeah. So I'm actually quite interested that these are Azure functions. So if people don't know, these are actually, um, these are basically servers. They act like servers, but it's just a little bit of code that you put on a little web form and it just executes for you. So I like how lightweight they are and the fact that you don't actually have to manage a server so love these guys so I, i'm interested tell me more about this article
0: so it's pretty interesting yeah so normally you'd have to run a server you'd have to make these web requests you pal- pass up this this uh transaction then your server then calls off to apple to make sure things are validated etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. um and the azure functions are really cool because they only run for a very minimal amount of time so you're going to pay like you know a fraction, 0.0001% of whatever your your purchase price was. He wrote this great article. I'll definitely put it in the show notes. I mean, it's fantastic. You could just copy and paste his code and put it in there. And I have a way of validating receipts in my plugin. I just give you what you need to validate, and then you return true or false uh, in that method. Now, of course, if you don't obfuscate your code, there's a method that is saying is valid. <laughs> right. So, so you can get around that. But of course, even his code, it's the exact same thing. So yeah. just because you're validating that transaction, like Frank, you said earlier, is, well, did, do you have a method that says right. validate receipt? Because yeah. if you have one that says that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so you have to ask yourself, what's more probable that someone can generate fake receipts or that someone can hack my app? They're both probable. So it's just a measure of how probable and do I care?
0: Yeah. And I think now
1: I think for something like in-app purchases, I would fall on the, I don't care side. Cause basically you're, you're trying to prevent people from stealing, but on the case of if this was actually important information, like a health app or a medical app, something like that, uh, then hire a security expert ASAP. Yeah, that's true. Cause, Cause you care.
0: Cause <laughs> you care. Yeah. And you care. And you're going to have some server code that you're probably running. You're going to have this code that you're going to running. You're going to run back and forth and, yeah, most likely you just want to, yeah, like I said, follow best practices and see what Apple and Google recommends and do what they do. The Google one is extremely complex, even more complex than what <laughs> Apple has you do to do receipt validation. And uh, again, I don't got time for that. Um, so, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, for a 2 dollars app. Yeah, I'm just I don't think I, 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 I haven't implemented it myself. So there on record. Haven't done it. Haven't done it. But it's
0: a great blog post that everyone should read and you should probably do it if you, if you can. And that's (laughs) the thing is I did risk versus reward, which was, I think my users aren't really going to be in this scenario and they're just going to buy it or not buy it. And if another 10% get around it and unlock ads, well, oh man, I lost 10 cents. You know what I mean? in ad revenue. So yeah.
1: But I do think that, uh, if, if you can learn some security best practices from it, just from that, that's kind of cool. Like, I'd be interested to see how he's handling the certificates on the, um, Azure Functions, because that was always the stumbling block. Not only did you have to run a server, but it had to be certificate, and it had to exchange those certificates properly with the Apple servers. So it's a complicated little thing. Uh, So maybe you don't want to do it for in-app purchases, but it's a good, strong security model to learn. So I think still a lot to learn from it.
0: Yeah, I would say one of the most interesting things in the last three two months or so that i've done in-app purchases and worried about this stuff is i've learned so much about (laughs) the inner workings of even just test flight and the apple Uh, app store and google and exploring you know it's like some people think you know i like to say i'm somewhat of an android expert because that's my my expertise and you may be ios but there's just so much built into these operating systems that i just don't even know it's well, crazy. Just,
1: just at the high level, every time I log into iTunes Connect, I feel like there's a new option in there. I don't quite understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's going on now? <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But and I, I,
1: I thought you were yeah. going to say that you, you, you'd you become a security expert. I thought no. your conclusion was going to be, uh, I can handle this. I, I, I'm a pro. No. <laughs> I think what I
0: have is a highly reproducible way of uh, obfuscating my my um keys that I may have to put in to my application. I now know how to do all the receipt validation. So if I if I start to build a business, let's say I have this great application and I and I plan on building a business, I now know the steps that I need to take. I've read the documentation. I have uh, attempted to do some of them just for funsies like hey you know <laughs> is, is it how, how much fun is this how much will it cost to run a server azure functions you know, to do a server but you know I've, I've done this practice so i would say that i'm way more of an expert than i was at the beginning of 2017 and by the end of 2017 with some of the stuff that i'm looking to build and deploy i would say that i'll, I'll get a lot closer but i will definitely be asking people like that's the thing is go to the experts that are out there that are doing this stuff and the google and the apple their documentation is probably going to lead you in the right direction so
1: i i actually love security and encryption I, i read about it as much as i possibly can but every year that i read about it i feel like i i learn something new every year but at the same time, I feel like I learned 10 more things that I need to learn because, oops, I didn't understand them as well. Okay. So while I'm progressively learning more and more about security, I'm progressively learning that I don't know anything about security. And I, I can talk about uh, public and private keys at a very high level, and I, I understand how it works. Like, to actually write the code to make it all work freaks me out. So definitely buy books on the subject and what acts ask experts who, who do you ask stack overflow for this kind of stuff probably maybe do. <laughs> some, stack, some stack
0: overflow apply, probably maybe. books
1: are better good documentation yeah. use high level apis because oh my god it's too hard <laughs> yeah
0: yeah something like that i don't know yeah so what do you just,
1: what do you, just uh i we didn't get the how of what are you actually using to uh um obfuscate your keys Nothing, or do you no, not no. want to tell us is it security through obscurity
0: <laughs> uh, security through obscurity ooh that's a great that's an episode title okay <laughs> that's great um yeah basically that i mean what i did in the application is i believe we for android we or at least for win we did obfuscate the application and we found a tool that we could put into the build which was really nice because you would just build in a release and it would just obfuscate it at that time you didn't have to think about it okay and for android i've attempted to or for most apps that i build i attempt not to put any of my keys in my application uh or build applications that need keys. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that's the better trick there.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, build applications that don't need a backend. That makes your life <laughs> yeah, as a solo developer end. a
1: lot easier. Yeah, or do everything over SSL.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I would say, and that's the thing is, um, we have really good T- TLS 1.2 support and new SSL support that's in those. So I think if I had all those issues, I would I would do what I just told you, which is set up the server, set up the certificates, handle that uh, the back and forth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yep. Well, so you're telling me that I can just, uh, download your app off of Android, open it up and I'll get your, uh, meetup key. Yeah. You need
0: to go that. into, you can test it. <laughs> I mean, you can, can you can tell us
1: which class it's in. Can you really speed this up please? Uh, yeah. So what you're going to do <laughs> is you're going to
0: install an application, uh, called APK extractor. Then you're going to install something like Astro. And then oh, A- so I think
1: you, you, Maybe I should stop you. Should I stop you? <laughs>
0: I can tell you, you can, it's on the GitHub. GitHub, it's on my GitHub, you can find Meetup Manager. It's in there. In fact, if you actually, the funny part is if you go to the Meetup Manager page, I have other keys on the GitHub page, but they're not the ones that I ship with. or they're, they're kind of like development.
1: Yeah, that's tricky. I, I've tried to do that. Every time I commit the code, I make sure that, yeah, I don't accidentally check in the keys. Guess what? Everyone accidentally checks in the keys. Yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. going to have keys, you got to keep them in a different part of the file system as far away from the source code as possible because everyone checks in the keys.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yep. Everyone checks in the keys. Don't do that. T-shirt. <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> that'd be great oh man
1: all right Any, anything else you want to talk about obfuscation frank no i, I think we somehow we actually made security fun i had fun during this one so i hope everyone else did
0: and that's going to be the the hashtag we actually made security fun <laughs> try to at least uh and if you like talking about security or you just like listening to me and frank each and every week there's a few things you can do check out our sponsors like raygun go to raygun.com merge conflict Tell them that, you, that Merge for Conflict sent you over, that you're like, wow, this is the most amazing thing ever. They'll, they'll keep liking us. They'll keep sponsoring the show. Also, to really help the show, even more importantly, leave a review on iTunes. I know it sounds silly and we keep asking about it every once in a while. Not every episode, but every once in a while. I just want to say we've gotten some great feedback um, from Andrew, for instance. He looks forward to the show every single week. Just keeps us, you know, he says, keep up the great work. I love this one from Hector uh, a few weeks ago. It says, It A couple of real dev talks as opposed to some other ones, just kind of talking around architecture. Like Frank and James are actually sitting down and coding and getting into it. And we love that. I love, I love, uh, I love kind of going in and, and reading. We, you know, we read this. We read the emails that you guys send us. We, we, we uh, you guys and gals out there sending us tweets all the time, uh, sending us suggestions. So what you want to hear on the on the on the episode, let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at MergeConflictFM. Hit us up at MergeConflictFM to leave us emails. Leave us a review on iTunes. It'd be uh, forever um, hearts uh, floating down from your screen. If we could figure out the JavaScript for that and secure it somehow, <laughs> but uh, I think that's about it. That's about all I want to promote out there. But uh, this has been Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno, and I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.